Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I certainly am, as always. I'm not having as great of a week as I normally do because I've had a bit of a sore throat. It was really sore yesterday, but today it's it's better. It's still a little scratchy, so hopefully hopefully we'll be okay. I got a big jug of water next to me in case I need it. Uh, hopefully it doesn't sound too raspy. We'll get through it. I'll get through it. You'll, you'll get through it. We'll get through it together. It'll be great. But anyways, let's get into today's question, which is... What happens when the consumer demand for a new trend or technology explodes, right? Often there are many competitors that are all going to start jockeying for market share of a quickly growing industry, but in the end, very few, possibly even only one of those companies will survive. And what differentiates a winner from a loser when they're all selling the same thing? Today, we're going to examine two examples of just that that are playing out right before our eyes. The fight to be the dominant sneaker marketplace and the great scooter wars. Today, sneakers, scooters, and startups, a race to the bottom, but whoever gets there first will end up on top. Let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So sneakers and scooters are two fascinating examples of new industries bored out of existing products, right? So sneakers are not new, obviously. They've been around for a long time, since really the Air Jordan era back like 1989-ish, early 90s is when it really started taking off. But it really has hit this crescendo it's exploded over the past probably two or three years to the mainstream before it was kind of you had this cult group of sneakerheads who were really into sneakers but i wouldn't say it was quite mainstream now sneakers are mainstream it's it's a big deal and scooters are the same right i mean Scooters are not new. These electric scooters, you could say that they've gotten better over time, but it's not like the technology took a quantum leap anytime recently, and that's why all of a sudden we're seeing them. The only quantum leap in technology would really be the application side, the iPhone app. But even then, you know, these these apps are new, but Uber and Lyft are very similar apps, and they've been around for years. So it's very interesting when you see new consumer trends kind of come almost out of nowhere and create multi-billion dollar markets that did not exist just 24 months ago. And, you know, in the wake of these new opportunities, you're going to have companies trying to secure a major piece, if not all, of the market. But the companies who are trying to become dominant in the sneaker marketplace, for example like Goat and StockX and Kixify and others, are going to face a similar challenge to Lime and Bird and other scooter startups. How do you make yourself different and better than everyone else when you offer pretty much an identical core product? That's the question. How do you differentiate yourself? Well, let's talk about differentiation and moat building. So in the sneaker business, we'll start with them. There's two fundamental problems that each company is trying to solve. 
right? One is that you want to have a marketplace where the availability of any that has the availability of any shoe that a buyer wants. That obviously inventory. This is kind of a classic problem. And then second, the second layer on top of that is authentication because at this point. It's estimated that there's actually more fake sneakers in existence than real ones, which makes the task of purchasing shoes online on the resale market kind of scary if you're a buyer. How do you know if the shoes you're buying are legit? So this is where the two companies, GOAT and StockX, the two largest sneaker marketplaces for those who are not familiar, uh, come in. Both of these companies offer authentication services for a cut of the sale. And... Both companies offer it's nine and a half percent of the sale price of taken away from the seller plus five dollars. Um, the difference is that on StockX, as you sell higher volumes, they will drop that price down to about eight percent for the seller. So this is a win-win for the buyer and seller. The buyer isn't paying an extra fee, and they can also sleep soundly at night knowing that they're not getting ripped off by some hustler or someone trying to sell them fakes. And the seller wins because they don't have to build trust with the buyer which is very difficult if you've ever tried to sell something online, right? They ask for a million pictures, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff. And they're basically paying a trust fee to GOAT and StockX saying, okay, I'm going to give you 9.5%, 10% of the money, but you're verifying for me on behalf of me that I don't have to, so I don't have to jump through all these hoops to sell to my customer and you're taking care of that. Not to mention for the seller, they're of the each marketplace is obviously providing access to tons of buyers that those sellers are not otherwise going to have access too. So that's kind of the advantage. It's a win-win. Okay, just had to pause for a second and take some water. Okay, where was I? It's a win-win. So this is how GOAT and StockX have differentiated themselves from the likes of, say, eBay or Amazon or other major marketplaces, right? You'd say, why? What do you? How have they been able to beat the likes of eBay and these big places that already have tons of users? Well, they specialize in a niche, 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 whatever, and provided a far better customer experience. And because when you buy from eBay or Amazon or whatever, they don't have authentication services. There's no guarantee your shoes are real. And obviously for the sellers, they're providing a massive amount of buyers that are specifically looking for these high-end shoes, these sneakers. However, this leads to the next point. How do you differentiate yourself from the already differentiated, right? Goat and StockX differentiated themselves from the major mass market uh, marketplaces, the Ebays and Amazons, but how do they differentiate from each other? And that's the challenge they faced, and that's the battle they found themselves in with one another for market dominance. And this is a question facing both Lime and Bird as well in the, in the scooter world. This is where that race to the bottom aspect comes in. When your core offerings can no longer be differentiated, you become a commodity. And in commodity markets, there's only two ways to beat your competition, either through brand or through price. There's no other way because you sell the same thing. It's not like you have a superior product because it's anything you do because there's nothing right in the case of the sneakers they're selling the same thing they're selling the same adidas the same nike the same whatever so they have the same product now the user experience is a little different but for the most part especially when it comes to applications uh, as we've seen from instagram and facebook and snapchat all of these any new little feature that one comes up with will quickly be copied by the other there's no patents there's no uh 
anything you can do proprietary application-wise. So they basically have the same core product. So the only way they're going to be able to differentiate is on brand or on price or both. And the same goes for scooters, right? They both offer scooters for rent. Now, some scooters might be higher quality than the other, but then they start being too expensive and you're going to take yourself out of the market and the user's not going to see the value in in spending more on a scooter rental when really what the other one has is already good enough at a better price. So there's not much differentiation in the core product there either. So if we talk about sneakers for a second, how are StockX and GOAT going about this? They've both kind of gone down their own paths as to how to differentiate themselves. StockX has focused primarily on the price aspect, right? They will very frequently offer discounted seller fees. So even though they're retail seller fees, right, the, the listed price is nine and a half percent, often they'll do five percent or they'll say, hey, this week only, no seller fees. And then on the buyer side, often they will knock down the price. So even if the seller is selling a shoe for $250, they will knock down the price and tell the buyer, hey, you can get it for $150 this week only, blah, 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 blah. And they're just eating that cost. So they're doing this aggressively in hopes of expanding their network, right? The value of a marketplace comes from its network, its ability to easily match buyers and sellers, which means the more of each that they have, the more buyers and sellers that they have, the more valuable StockX as a platform becomes. This is classic Metcalf's law, network effects, whatever you want to call it. This is the, the classic thing. StockX knows this, and so that's why they aggressively spend or discount and at a loss to gain more buyers and sellers. Meanwhile, GOAT has taken a different approach. They have never, ever wavered on their seller fees. They have never dropped below that 9.5%, and I don't think that they have plans to in the future. And only on rare occasions will they raffle off pairs through their app, giving, a, giving away a few pairs of shoes for free. But very rarely do you ever see discounts and very rarely do you see these raffles. It's, it's, it's not nearly as common as what stock as how often StockX does it. And you know, this makes sense too, though, because buyers are much more difficult to acquire than sellers. Sellers are going to put up with more because obviously they want to sell. They're, they have economic incentive to do so. Buyers just want what's more, what's most convenient. And GOAT has chosen to only focus on buyers when it comes to discounting and losing money in that case. They haven't done that for sellers, which, like I said, makes sense. But for the most part, what GOAT has done is chosen to focus entirely on brand, which is why they acquired the sneaker space OG, the, the original uh, what's called Flight Club um, back in February. Flight Club has been around since 2006. They're the largest sneaker consignment site uh, in the world, and they also have retail stores in New York and Los Angeles. They also reportedly plan to open more soon. We'll see. But as far as regarding this acquisition, GOAT's CEO, Eddie Liu, had a few interesting things to say, and I'll kind of read them here. So he said, quote, they are best in class at retail, and they have great SEO for their web presence, and they have tons of social following. We're great on technology, great on mobile, but we don't have stores. The pieces of the puzzle fit perfectly together. So, end quote. Goat bought Flight Club for the brand. Flight Club has 2.3 million followers on Instagram. And in the sneaker world, Flight Club, being that they've been around since 2006, they're one of the originals, they are really a household name in sneaker in the sneaker world. So that's why Goat bought them. And Goat has, by the way, a reported average sale price on their shoes of $330. 
Flight Club's average sale price is north of 400. So that's a pretty big difference. And Goat wants access to those premium customers and the first party data that Flight Club has as well. Flight Club has retail stores and the biggest advantage that retail stores still have is that customer connection, the customer relationship and the first party data on their customers. Goat now owns that data and that relationship and that Flight Club brand. And they also own what's called the whale customers, that small percentage of sneaker head population that outspends everyone and buys all the major releases and spends a ton of money on sneakers. This is the same in almost every uh, market. You always have a small percentage of customers who buy, who spend proportionately more than everyone else. Goat now owns a lot of those customers. So that's those are the reasons why Goat bought Flight Club. And they're really trying to build their brand. They want to build more stores. They want to build that premium experience and really access that premium customer. And again, average selling price of 400 versus 330 is major, so it makes sense. These are two distinct approaches from StockX and GOAT. StockX has not done any of that. StockX has just done price. That's all they do. Price, 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 price. And I'm not saying that's wrong either. I'm not saying either is necessarily better than the other. But it's going to be interesting to see kind of how things play out. And I do think that in the sneaker world, there is room for two winners. But I don't think that either is going to be happy to settle for second, especially because they've both been so heavily venture-backed. The dynamic on the scooter front, however, is different. Both Bird and Lime have focused entirely on expansion because the industry is so new and no consumer habits have yet been formed. Both companies want to expand to as many geographies as possible to be the first app downloaded, right? In hopes that the lock-in of being the first app and honestly laziness of customers not willing to download a million apps will when they already have one, right? If you already have the Bird app and you can just pull it out and use it, it's going to take a lot for you to want to go out and download another app and compare pricing and blah, blah, blah. Some people will do it. A lot of customers won't. And these companies know this. So they're trying to expand to as many geographies as possible to be that first app downloaded. This strategy, though, requires a lot of upfront capital, right? They're going to have to enter new geographies, as I said, and the only way to enter a new geography is by flooding it with hundreds or thousands of scooters. And those scooters aren't cheap. You have to buy all of them up front. They are not free. So they're going to have to go to VCs to get this money. And obviously they have. They've both raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And I don't expect the investor inflows to slow anytime soon. But to me, this first mover advantage only works to a point. If the other service has a cheaper offering for renting scooters, I think people will get over that quote-unquote tremendous hurdle kind of sarcastically that I said before that is downloading another app. And that's why this is truly a race to the bottom, like I said before, because the only way to compete in commodity markets is price or brand. And so far, both Lime and Um, bird have focused completely on price not really on brand the question for the scooter market versus the sneaker market is whether or not there's room for two in the sneaker market like i said i think there is and in the scooter market i'm not sure honestly it's it's hard to tell these things i think there is also room for two maybe three scooter companies but i think the margins will be slim no matter what i don't think because 
at the end of the day, they're both venture-backed, very heavily venture-backed. And so they're going to have lots of money in reserves to keep lowering their prices. But eventually that's going to end. We've kind of seen this with Uber and Lyft um, and their competitors. They're just still living off of venture money, but eventually that's going to come to an end. And you're seeing Uber and Lyft very much focus on trying to become profitable now at this point. And I think that Bird and Lime are going to have to face that same reality eventually, but that's still very, very far down the road. I think what really the opportunity for Bird and Lime is, is once they've established these large user bases, is to figure out ways to monetize beyond maybe just scooters. And because eventually the market will mature, like I said, the growth opportunities are huge right now because scooters are not that common, right? I live in Phoenix, only in certain parts of the city are there scooters. I know uh, when I was in Madrid recently, there were scooters all over downtown, but the second you left downtown, there were much fewer. I know it's very similar in most of the big cities. It's kind of like if you're in the, the main hub, that there's a lot of scooters. If you're not in the main hub, there's very few. And so the growth opportunities are there for sure. And there's still plenty of new cities. I know Lime just moved into Australia this week, I believe. So geographically, there's plenty of room for growth. But eventually, just like Uber and Lyft, you know, they're kind of at the stage where Uber and Lyft were, say, I don't know what, five, six years ago, when they were just very quickly expanding, expanding, expanding. But eventually, the market will mature. And at that point, the question is, how will Bird and Lime make their money? Because they're going to be competing on price, which means the margins will be really, really, really small. And so I think they're going to have to figure out ways to monetize other than just renting scooters. But I think that's a topic for another time. Problem is still far down the road for them. And considering they're racing on scooters, it might take them a while before they get down that road. Is that a good pun? I, th I thought of that earlier. I thought, you know, that'd be really funny. It wasn't as funny as I said it, but I said it anyways. So it doesn't matter. Anyways, that's it for my little discussion on how do you differentiate yourself when you sell the same thing? Brand and price, those are really the only two ways. And price isn't really a good strategy either, which is why I think what GOAT is doing is very interesting. They're very much focusing on brand in the sneaker space. Who knows, maybe Bird and Lime will take a turn and focus on brand. Because, you know, you look at, for example, let's talk about t-shirts, right? T-shirts are the ultimate commodity. They cost a dollar to make. But you have some t-shirts that sell, they're just plain t-shirts for $2, okay? You can buy a plain white t-shirt for $2. Or you can buy a Gucci shirt for 2000 It's completely a brand space. There's no competing on price in t-shirts because there's no money to be made competing on price. Everything is a brand play. And so I think that in these commodity markets, sneaker marketplaces, bird and lime and scooters, it very much could be a brand thing. It could be the customer experience that ultimately drives the value because maybe bird and lime or some other scooter company will come with a way that has a much better experience, whether it be through the app, although like I said, the app part is very replicable, or maybe it's through the scooters themselves. But again, I think all those things are easily copied. So I think it's going to take further monetization once they own those users. So I agree that they should focus on owning the users first. It's going to be interesting, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And I don't know that they will necessarily live up to their massive valuations, not because the total revenues aren't there for the market. It's that the total profits, I think, are going to be relatively small. But for consumers, it's great news because it's another great uh, transportation alternative. I've used them. They're actually pretty fun. I don't get what all the hate is. I do get, obviously, you don't want them left all over the place, but I think that will be figured out eventually. I mean, we have a million parking spaces in the U.S. We can probably use some of them for scooters. All right, let's get into the news. 
It's time for the news. Okay, so for this week's news segment, I wanted to change it up a little bit and do a little segment I call Real or Not Real. And we're going to start basically, you know, do I think something has a real chance of success or not? And so I'm going to start with Samsung's new bendable phone slash tablet. They have this new, if you haven't seen it, it's a new tablet that you can, it's, you basically bend and then it bend in half and then it turns into a phone and you can put it in your pocket. Real or not real? I'm going to go with not real. Sorry, Samsung. I'm all for thinking outside of the box and trying new things, but I think this one's a miss. If you haven't seen it, by the way, I would do a quick Google search because it's very interesting looking. Not if you're driving. Don't Google it if you're driving. But the main drawback for me is how kind of fat and large the device is when it's folded, just holding it in your hand and then putting it in your pocket. As you can imagine, when you fold a tablet in half, it's twice the thickness I, you know, in a world where everyone's trying to make their phones thinner and lighter, this has gone in the completely opposite direction. I don't know. I'll certainly visit my local Best Buy to check it out on the store shelves and kind of play with it on the display and see what it's like. But I think I will save my money and hold out for your next big idea, Samsung. Sorry, not real. All right, real or not real, Disney announces its new Disney Plus. That's what they're calling it, Disney Plus streaming service that will feature all of its original IP and will no longer, the, the same IP that will no longer be available on Netflix or other platforms come 2019. Very, very real. I've discussed this many times, but IP is the ultimate asset in the streaming space because servers and recommendation algorithms are largely commoditized. Hence why Netflix has been pouring billions into their Netflix originals. But you know who has the most originals by a long shot? Disney. And their acquisition of Fox earlier this year only served to expand that already massive content library. Very, very real. I don't know what the price will be. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I've discussed it for a while. They finally announced it. It'll be coming next year. I'm very excited as a Disney shareholder. I'm looking forward to it. All right. And finally, Spotify reported their earnings this week. And they continue to disappoint investors. But... Do they have potential with a growing user base? Real or not real, Spotify's earnings potential, real. I think it is real. A lot of people are very much doubting Spotify. I think it's real, but they need to shift focus. They're incredibly concerned with making money on the actual streaming of their music when I think that they should be focused on making mother money through other methods of monetization. The problem Spotify has when you compare it to Netflix, right? I think the this has been discussed before, but I'll give a brief summary, right? Netflix is able to make a lot of money. The, the Netflix's profits grow the more users they get because if they spend $10 million to create a show, they spend $10 million to create a show. That's it. So whether 10 million people watch it or pay to watch it or a million people pay to watch it, it costs the same. It's a fixed cost. Spotify has variable costs, which means that they're basically giving a percentage royalty to the publisher and artist and all that every time a song is played. So whether they have 100 million people or a million people, it's going to be the same fixed price, or I'm sorry, fixed percentage that they're paying to the publisher and artist, which means even if they can double their users, it doesn't mean that they're going to increase their profit very much. So this is a major problem. And I think that they're too focused on trying to gain more users because, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't focus on gaining more users, but it should they should focus on trying to monetize their current users in new 
ways that they aren't currently. And they've done this somewhat, right? One example is that they have affiliate links to upcoming concerts when a user visits an artist page, but that's just scratching the surface, right? They've got over 80 million paying music fanatics, and it's time that they use the massive amounts of user data that they have and the user base to figure out how they can make more money. They need to figure out how to get their users to spend either more money with them or through them like the ticketing route. I think one idea that I'm just thinking of at the top of my head, like spitballing, is they could do merchandise, which they have not done at all. They could have just like artists do limited merchandise, concert t-shirts, whatever, that you can only buy at the concert. That's why people spend $40 on concert t-shirts. You could have uh, Spotify exclusive, limited, 24-hour only, whatever, deals with artists where you sell a certain t-shirt or whatever uh, merchandise on the app for a very limited amount of time, and people will go and try to buy it, and maybe it'll sell it right away. It'll create like an event. People will look forward to it. People look forward to the drops, etc. and obviously Spotify can take a cut of those revenues. I'm just like spitballing here, but things like that. Spotify needs to figure out how to monetize further their user base. That's where their earnings potential will come from. That's what I think they have the major opportunity to do. So obviously you want to do this without taking away from the overall user experience, but I think it's certainly possible. You just have to think a little more creatively, and I'm sure Spotify has the ability to. So earnings potential is real, but I think they need a little more shift in focus and how they can further monetize their user base. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. My voice is kind of giving out a little bit. It's uh, very raspy, so I'm going to cut it off here, drink some water soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, please share with one person who you think would like it. Leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you listen. I will see you next week.